This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by GE Aviation, rising to the challenge of building a smarter, more sustainable future of flight. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. The way we travel is changing, none more so than the future of air travel. In this episode, industry leaders join Washington Post Live to discuss the financial impact the coronavirus has had on major airlines and the path forward as millions return to the friendly skies. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. My name is Lori Aratani and I'm a transportation reporter here at The Post. We're glad you could be with us for our program on the future of flight. Today, we'll be talking about sustainability and what airlines are doing to be greener. And with us, we have Ben Minicucci, the new CEO of Alaska Air Group. Ben, welcome to Washington Post Live. Hey, thanks, Lori. Great to be with you. Great. Well, I know we have a lot of ground to cover, so we'll just start right off. Um, I know Alaska has set a very ambitious goal of getting to net zero emissions by 2040. So tell us a little bit about how you plan to get there. Yeah, it is a really ambitious goal. You know, if you think of airlines, you know, we we burn gas to get from point A to point B. So to say we're going to be at 2040 um, and net zero at 2040, it, it really is an aggressive goal. And when we discussed this with our board, one of the things they wanted to make sure is that we had a real articulate plan in terms of how to get there. So our plan is really twofold. We have a short-term plan, we have a long-term plan. The long-term plan is 2040. It's a five-point strategy. And the first one is uh, is about renewing our fleet. And we have a huge uh, Boeing order for 120 MAX that are replacing our older Airbus airplanes. And those, as each one comes in, there's a 25% improvement uh, by seat mile in terms of, of, of emissions. So, um, so a, renew, a, a new fleet is the first strategy. Operational efficiency is a big one for us, a culture of efficiency. So this is everything, how you operate the airplane on the ground, using ground support equipment, you know, taxing from the gate to the runway using single engine taxi. And one of the uh, cool things that we just implemented using artificial intelligence and machine learning um, is uh, by partnering with a Silicon Valley company called Flyways, is how you actually plan the route of an airplane from one city to another. Uh, think of it as ways in the sky, and uh, it's already helped us save track miles in the sky and, and reduce how much gas we burn, which reduces emissions. The third, uh, which is a big one, is sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, this is probably the biggest enabler to get to 2040. There is a lot of work being done with the government on uh, on, a, on a SAF blenders tax uh, uh, benefit, um, and there's a lot being done with industry to increase the amount of sustainable aviation fuel. So this will be a huge one, something that we all have to work uh, work at because it will have the largest impact. Uh, the one I'm excited about is innovative technology. Uh, you know, hybrid electric airplanes. This is something that's uh, progressing at a rapid pace. Uh, it's starting with smaller airplanes, uh, but you could see in 10, 15, 20 years that some regional airplanes could be powered by hybrid electric airplanes. So that's an exciting one uh, to look at. And then the fifth piece uh, of our strategy is uh, carbon offsets. This is something we would use a, as a last resort, but uh, there's some interesting technology on carb- carbon offsets like carbon sequestration uh, that we got to get smarter about. So that's the five-point strategy. In the meantime, I talked about a short-term goal. Uh, in the next five years, we want to be the most fuel-efficient airline in the country. 
and uh, and we're getting all our employees involved. And one of the things we're doing it is by you know we have a a bonus program that uh, that we give out every year based on goals that uh, we set, and um, and we have a carbon goal established for this year for all employees of Alaska Airlines. So 10% of our bonus is based on achieving carbon goals. So we're putting our money where our mouth is and making sure all 22,000 employees of Alaska Air, uh, Alaska Air Group are involved uh, in uh, being part of this strategy of being net zero by 2040. Well, that's great. I know in addition to that very ambitious goal, you, have, you mentioned some short-term goals, but there's also an effort to reduce the impact of carbon, waste and water by 2025. Is that another program that you all are launching? Uh, it's something that we're always actively pursuing. Uh, our teams across every station, this is something that's always on the forefront. It's a big part. It doesn't get talked about very much, but it is part right. of our strategy. You know, uh, one of the cool things we introduced is boxed water, uh, which is uh, uh, it, it's uh, something that just helps if uh, you're on one of our flights, on our regional flights or on first class or premium class, we issue boxed water, uh, which again, it's it's another thing in the effort to help reduce waste out there. So it's it's we, we talk a lot about emissions, but there's so, so much more to it than just just emissions. That's so interesting. What what is the reaction from your customers when they see that from passengers? Are they puzzled or do they do they understand what you're trying to do? You know what? Uh, I think a lot of it is they say, wow, well, this is really cool. Uh, and I'm glad Alaska's doing it. So we get we get a lot of positive uh, feedback. Uh, and then we kind of explain what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, our, our crews, our flight attendants are just wonderful because they explain. Uh, and and I, I will tell you, our flight attendants, you know, a decade ago, more than a decade ago, they're the ones who started the recycling on board. They were so passionate about it that they told us as management, hey, we got to start recycling on board. So they're very passionate about recycling. So anything we can do to reduce waste, uh, they uh, they are all on board and, uh, and they're wonderful ambassadors, uh, not only for the company, but in terms of reducing uh, the environment, uh, the impact on the environment. Oh, that's great. Well, that's that brings up the bottom line, right? So are sustainability and profitability possible in your industry? I know you operate on pretty thin margins. You know, I, I think um, like when you talk about sustainable fuels right now, it's tough because the cost of sustainable fuels um, right. are double to two, two to three times the cost of jet fuel. So I think uh, you know, one of the ways you do it is by setting aspirational goals to say, look, we got to bring the cost of producing sustainable fuels down. We got to increase the production levels. So this is not something that's going to happen in a year or two years, but you can see in a decade and 15, 20 years that the cost of sustainable fuels could be at par with, with jet fuel. And this is when it makes sense. You know, right now, if we were going to go purely sustainable fuels, all our profits will be, will be wiped out. Uh, so right now it's not possible. But setting that ambitious goal, and I think that's what um, uh, I think that's what industries do. They set ambitious goals. They get people to come together, smart minds to figure out how to get past these constraints that are out there, and um, you know, and get to a better place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think it'll take to help um, to help bring down the price of of sustainable airline fuels, aviation you know, I, fuels? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, uh, energy behind this. You know, every time we uh, we talk to uh, uh, you know um, government officials, um, and you know, there's uh, you know the current um, uh, government that's in place is really big on on reducing our environmental impact. So we say, look, one of the ways you can help us 
is by helping uh, along the sustainable fuels uh, uh, initiative. And this is a blender's tax that, that's being proposed. So a blender's tax to help offset the cost of producing sustainable fuels is one of the big uh, initiatives that are that's out there. But I think educating uh, educating uh, people in in um, uh, in positions of influence is going to be a, is going to be a key enabler in getting the cost of sustainable fuels down. Oh, great. You mentioned this in your opening, and I'm intrigued by this idea of electric aircraft. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about the potential that you see there, if, and how far off you think those are? Well, uh, you know, I, I I think for you know, EVTOLs, like electric vertical takeoff and landing airplanes, uh, I think that technology is here. You know, that's for, you know, you know, two or three passenger airplanes. And uh, um, so I, I think that technology is here. The, the question is, does it make sense for uh, an airline to have, you know, what kind of air airplanes would an airline uh, have? And, uh, you know, we need right now, our regional fleet consists of 76 seat airplanes today. That's not possible with the technology that's there because batteries are simply too heavy. Uh, but I, I think you'll see a progression of this technology for you know, a handful of seats and then maybe over 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years as the technology improves. And, and I, think, I think that's what you'll see. And then when it makes sense for regional air, aircraft, uh, I think that'll be a, a big breakthrough. But you'll see it for smaller uh, passenger airplanes. Now, when that, that exactly happens, I, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. But I think that technology is evolving rapidly, and uh, and you know I'm I'm an engineer. I geek out on stuff like this. We had a presentation <laughs> last week. We brought in an expert, uh, and just hearing them talk about hybrid electric technology, hydrogen technology, uh, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of smart minds out there working on this, and uh, uh, we just need a we just need a breakthrough uh, in terms of the, you know the weight and the energy of of, of batteries versus versus jet fuel. Mm -hmm. Well, great. You have, um, Alaska, I know, has put together a lot of interesting partnerships, and I know you have one with a small company up your way, uh, Microsoft. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with employees who travel for business? Yeah, you know, Microsoft is, they're just a great company uh, right in our backyard. Uh, so when Microsoft employees travel from the Pacific Northwest to California, where, you know, we have such a big network up and down the coast that uh, they're offsetting their travel with sustainable fuels. So that's a partnership that I think could be a model uh, where you know companies can help uh, offset uh, the carbon impact. So uh, uh, Microsoft is a leader in this. Uh, they've stepped up and we partner with them. Uh, and uh, and I think their employees are 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 really inspired by uh, by this initiative and uh, and we're excited to be part of it. Great. And I know one of the keys, right, is getting, and as an engineer, right, is getting these ideas out of the lab and into the real world. I understand right. you've also got another partnership with Boeing to try and test out some of these ideas that may help with sustainability, help you be greener. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, it's called the Eco Demonstrator. It's one of our deliveries that uh, is going to come next year. So it's one that we volunteered as one of our deliveries. So they got uh, a multitude of technologies they're they're testing on the airplane uh, to uh, just to help again improve the efficiency of the airplane, reduce uh, in increase the fuel efficiency of the airplane, reduce noise, uh, uh, just a whole host of, of different technologies uh, that that they're implementing, different materials uh, on the airplane. 
so again, uh, we're fortunate here in the Pacific Northwest. We have these wonderful companies like Boeing and Microsoft and, and Amazon and, and, and Starbucks that, that we work with uh, to, to take these ideas and actually try and put them into practice. So that partnership is wonderful with Boeing. We have a longstanding partnership. We, uh, we're going to an all Boeing fleet, so that it just makes it more exciting. And I understand there was, um, you know, sometimes there are big ideas, but sometimes there are little tweaks that you can make on airplanes that make a difference. I, I read about winglets on your oh, yeah. Boeing 737s. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about how that works or what difference that's made? Oh, yeah. Um, so when I came to Alaska 17 years ago, we had no winglets on airplanes. And, um, uh, and, and so these were the 737 NG airplanes. And, uh, and when the design uh, was proposed and putting winglets on those airplanes, uh, there was going to be a 3 to 4% efficiency just by putting a single wing winglet on the airplane. So as time went on, Again, more wind tunnel testing. Uh, I think we're on our third iteration of, of winglets. So on the MAX, there's a new winglet that really improves. And what it does is it improves uh, the aerodynamics, the uh, the vortices that get shed off. At, at, uh, I don't want to get complicated, but it's the vortices that get shed off, right. off the wing. It, hel it helps improve the airflow, the laminar flow over the wing. And uh, so that's had a huge, huge impact uh, on, uh, on fuel efficiency and uh, and I, I actually think the airplane is cooler with winglets than without winglets. Just, uh, <laughs> just you know, and just for looks the, better. For our, for our audience, I know we're geeking out a little bit, so you've met yeah. a fellow geek here. But for our, our for our viewers, can you tell them? I guess what a explain what a winglet is and sort of where it goes on the wing. Yeah. So uh, as the wing, as you're looking out, if you're looking out the window, right at the tip of the wing. Uh, you'll see um, something that comes up on the wing and something that comes below uh, the wing. So uh, that's why it's a winglet right at the end. Uh, and that's just what helps the aerodynamics of the airplane as the air flows up and over the wing and under the wing. And how smooth the air flows over the wing to reduce turbulence has, um, you just waste less gas. It's, it's kind of like um, your car. If you think about it, you know, if you, you look at sports cars, it's kind of the, the same type of thing when they, when they uh, put fairings on the car just to, to improve the aerodynamic drag. Oh, that's great. Maybe I can get some of those for my minivan. I don't know. I'll oh, have yeah. to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could do a lot with a minivan, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, I know we've talked a lot about what airlines and what Alaska is doing to be greener. Are there things that passengers can do if they're concerned and they want to help reduce their carbon footprint? I know you want them to keep flying, but are there steps that they can take? You know, I, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, one of the things is what you bring on board. Um, you know, weight matters on an airplane. So, you know, the heavier the airplane, because we have to weigh everything uh, that goes on the airplane and we do these calculations for weight and balance. And then based on the weight of the airplane, we have to carry more fuel or less fuel. So the weight of the airplane is a massive contributor to how much gas uh, you have to take on and how much gas you you uh, you, um, uh, you you spend throughout a flight. So I would say to, to, to folks, that friends that I know, I say, if you want to help, take the least amount of weight you can on an airplane. Uh, if you can bring uh, one carry-on, that's great. Uh, if you're going to check luggage, uh, you know, make sure that you're not throwing everything in there and, uh, you know, and, and it's the bag is 70 pounds, you know, try and keep the weight as low as low as possible yeah. would be the biggest thing. Uh, and then, um, you know, um, you know, bottles, 
you know, your own water bottle, that airports are being really good. You can fill up your own water bottle at, at, at airports. Um, right now, like I said, we introduced boxed water because we want to reduce the impact of plastic. Uh, and uh, so if people, you know, bring their aluminum bottles uh, or steel, uh, stainless steel bottles and um, airports are doing a great job of providing water at different parts of the airport and just fill it up and, and have water, that again, reduces waste. So all these little things really, really help. Um, and uh, again, it takes a village, you know, if uh, you look at the heat across the country this week, I think it's hard. I mean, it's hard to argue that uh, the planet's getting warmer. Uh, you know, it was like, a, you know, it was a hunt. I've never seen it this hot in Seattle in, in my 17 years here. Um, um, and my air conditioning broke in, in my condo, so it was even worse. <laughs> oh, um, oh, but, no. uh, but, you know, the impact is real. And I think everything, anything people can do, uh, I think helps. And it's going to take, it's going to take everyone to, to get it done. Yeah, that is definitely, those temperatures in the Pacific Northwest are definitely a reminder. Sorry about your air conditioning. Yeah. That's not fun. Yeah. That's not fun. Um, I want to pivot a little because it seems like we can't talk about the industry without talking about the impact of the pandemic. So I know that folks are, more folks are vaccinated, um, cases are beginning to drop. So people are beginning to come out of their shells and fly. So can you talk a little bit about for people that may be a little rusty, what this new experience or what this experience of getting an, on an airplane now will be like for them, what they should expect? You know, I think the message we would have uh, and what the message we're trying to get across is we're going to keep people safe. Uh, and we want them to know that their experience with us, I mean, with the pandemic, everyone, you know, the level of safety consciousness went up several degrees. Uh, and the airline industry has always been an, uh, an industry that's been focused on safety, uh, but we took it to an, another level we call the next level care with our, with our safety. Uh, so uh, we went uh, to uh, a lot of lengths to explain to people that first, we want them to understand that when you're on board, it's a, the environment is safe. The, the HEPA filters on board uh, process 99.9% .9 of the contaminants, including COVID. So the air you're breathing gets recirculated every three minutes. It goes through these very fine particle filters called HEPA filters, uh, puts the air back uh, into the airplane, and uh, every three minutes it gets totally recirculated. The air flows from top to bottom, not front to back, uh, so that your air is as, is as clean as it can be. Uh, so just to have people understand that the air is uh, is is clean. It's getting filtered, uh, and I and it, it and I'm confident to say it's almost safer than it is in a grocery store. Uh, so the air on board is 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 good. Um, uh, the um, the masks uh, are still in place at least until uh, sometime mid September. Uh, that's another level of safety that that's put on board. So that's one thing they would see when they when they come on board. And then some of the things we did is, um, you know, we wanted to keep, you know, our special Alaska service on board. So, you know, when you put all these um, elements uh, like masks and, um, and, um, and, and safety protocols in place, it takes a little away from the product and the service. So we thought that, you know, you know how, how do we... How do we take this and, and create an advantage out, out, of, out of what's happened? And uh, so we put a lot of time in touchless innovation. So uh, what they'll see when they come to the airport, they can use their phone, print a boarding pass, print baggage tags without even touching a kiosk. Uh, so we call it touchless. You can do all these um, functions touchless. And uh, my favorite, because I flew to DC and New York in the last few weeks, um, and I used it myself, is you know we have our famous 
fruit and cheese plate uh, that people oh, love. Yes. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it's famous with our Beecher's Cheese yep. here in Seattle. Yep. Um, and um, and now you could pre-order it. So we uh, we pushed that really okay. quick. We say, look, uh, you know, before you had to have that interaction with the flight attendant and people didn't want right. people in the aisle. So we said, hey, let's make it quick. You can pre-order it, you, um, store your credit card on file. No credit cards come out. Just pre-order it uh, with your cheese plate and your glass of wine. The flight attendant knows it, the caterer knows it, everything is loaded on the airplane. So as soon as you're in and you're sitting down and we hit 20, 30,000 feet, the plate and the glass of wine comes uh, comes right to you. And um, with, a, with a warm smile, even though in the mass you can't see it with our kind caring service. But uh, so those are the things we try to do is, is you, you know, you try and okay. and, uh, and, uh, and take advantage of, uh, of a tough situation. Got it. I know one of the sort of unfortunate restarts of, of travel, at least on the domestic side, has been an uptick in what the FAA calls unruly passengers. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on what's going on or what what what's gotten into people? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, first, I mean, let's be honest, who wants to wear a mask for six or seven, eight hours on a flight? I mean, that's like I will start there and I totally understand it. The but on that is that it's it's federal law. It's 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 a law that's mandated and airlines have no choice but to enforce compliance to that law. Um, what I will say is we saw this as an issue even before, um, you know, just at the start of the pandemic when 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 we actually uh, uh, mandated masks. And what we thought of is, you know, how can we do this in a way that is understanding, is caring? Again, you know, we have this culture of kindness and caring at Alaska, and then you have to enforce these rules. And we say, you know, how do you how do you balance, you know, enforcing rules with our culture of kindness and caring, because we hire right. our wonderful flight attendants for kindness, not not, not as enforcers. So, uh, you know, we did a couple of things. You know, um, uh, when people weren't wearing masks, we introduced something called a yellow card. So, if if your kids uh, are playing soccer, the yellow card is the <laughs> we, we took that from soccer. Is it's a warning? It's it, it just simply in a kind, gentle way saying, look, you, you know, you need to wear your mask. These are the rules. Uh, you know, uh, we're asking you to comply uh, because if you don't, we'll have to take further action, which could ban you from future flights. And that was hugely beneficial. Uh, it, I think it helped bring down the anxiety, kind of explain like this is this, this is a, a federal law uh, that, that uh, that's required. So that helped. But even that said, I think over the last 15 months, we've probably banned three to 400 uh, uh, customers from our flights because they refuse to comply and, and it's tough. And uh, so that um, so so it's unfortunate. Um, the other thing we've done is we've equipped our flight attendants with de-escalation methods, right? So how do you de-escalate a situation when someone is frustrated because you know they come from their environment and you know across our country, you know masks mandates were you know varied, right? Where you know some you know didn't have, and so now you come on board. You go through an airport, and you come on board an airplane, and and you got these strict rules on masks. So uh, we've equipped them with de-escalation methods, um, and um, so, you know, our flight attendants are doing a wonderful job. The pilots on board, uh, we've asked them to really back our flight attendants up. So, you know, the, the pilot in command has four stripes on his shoulder, and he commands respect. People know that. So when he comes on board or he stands in front of the uh, front of the airplane and makes an announcement, say, please, uh, you know, comply with the mask. You know, uh, please listen to our flight attendants. That goes a long way. So we've tried this 
this approach, you know, different levels. And the best one that I like, Laurie, this is my favorite one. Uh, my favorite one is we introduced something called the safety dance. Have you seen our safety dance? I have not. Okay, well, I've got to see this. Being a teenager of the 80s, uh, like, so men at work, uh, you know, this, the safety dance from the men at work, I don't know if you remember the song. Well, we decided to uh, communicate a safety message in a fun way. And, uh, and uh, I, I hope you look it up. It's, uh, it's called the safety dance. It's uh, using the men at work uh, uh, music and, and, uh, and we changed the lyrics on it, but it, it was a fun way to communicate to our guests through social and, and through other channels. Um, um, that, you know, you're, you're required to wear a mask. And again, all these things I said, if you don't, you'll get a yellow card or, you know, all sorts of stuff and, and you're helping others. So it was a fun way to communicate a safety message. So those are the things that we've tried to do. Uh, it's, it's uh, like I said, the September 13th deadline is, uh, it's around the corner. It's, uh, you know, two and a bit months away. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully it, it, it gets lifted and we can go back to more norm normalcy. Oh, great. Well, I have so many more questions, but unfortunately, we don't have any more time. Oh, gosh, so was that quick? I'm, 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 <laughs> okay, well, have we to can do this time again, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, thank you so much, Ben Minicucci, for thank joining you. us on Washington Post Live. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Lori. Great. Um, we'll be back um, in a moment. Um, just so you know, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be back in a moment with the CEO of one of the world's leading uh, sustainable fuel companies. Um, so please stay with us. The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post newsroom was not involved in the production of this content. Hello, I'm Jean Meserve. Amidst the uptick in air travel, there is one sobering note. Aviation accounts for about 2% of global emissions of carbon dioxide. And unless something changes, it's projected that could go up to 10% by 2050. The industry is responding with new technologies and other innovations. Here to discuss that is the CEO and president of GE Aviation, John Slattery. Mr. Slattery, great to have you with us here today. Hi, Jean. Great to be with you. So what is GE doing to try and meet decarbonization targets? Well, if we just frame it up for a moment, GE and our joint venture partners, Safran, between us, we power about two thirds of the world's commercial flights today. So anything we do is going to have a meaningful impact on the operations of commercial flight around the world. At GE, we've just uh, completed our renewal of our fleet uh, the Leap engine, the GENX, which is on the 787 and the 747-8, and of course the GE9X, which will enter into service towards the end of 2023. That movement, that evolution of our fleet is not enough, Gene. We need to do more uh, to achieve the industry's carbon emission targets by 2050 of halving our carbon emissions. And that's why just two weeks ago today, I was in Paris to announce the launch with Safran, the launch of the RISE program, our newest technology development program, which will give us leading edge technologies and improve fuel burn by over 20% in our new engines that will enter into service in the mid 2030s. So put that into context for us, a 20% reduction in, in fuel uh, consumption. How significant is that? 
Well, it's the single largest jump in decarbonisation and fuel reduction that we've ever undertaken at uh, GE and at CFM. But to put it into perspective to your question, Gene, if you were to deploy that technology in today's narrowbodies fleets, the 737s and the A320s, well, it would be the equivalent of taking off the road 17 million cars. But I want to be clear, the fuel burn reduction of 20% is assuming today's fuel if we consider using sustainable aviation fuels, we could reduce the CO2 emissions by up to 80%. And if we went to hydrogen, green hydrogen, we'd be reducing CO2 emissions by 100%. What are you doing to accelerate the adoption of those fuels? Well, Development of sustainable aviation fuels is going to be a team effort. It's going to require governments. It's going to require regulatory authorities. It's going to require airports and the infrastructure and the ecosystem. It's going to require the airlines and, of course, the airframers and the, and the engine OEMs to come together to develop that new technology. From our side, Gene, we believe that the science is there to certainly get at least 20% improvement. And we believe that the science is there to support a deployment of 100% SAF into our engines. In fact, today, Gene, in the engines that we're producing today, our newest technology narrowbody engine, the LEAP, you can all already use 50% of a SAF blend in those engines today. But in the future, we believe that can get to 100% SAF in the engines of the future. Uh, look forward to us and talk to us about two or three innovations you think are on the horizon or just over the horizon for airplane engines. Well, look, as we think about our spend, our commitment to GE Aviation, today we're committing $1.8 billion into R&D, a number not dissimilar to what we invested last year. So we have a tailwind from our shareholders to uh, support our engineers in the development programs that they're looking into. And those programs, well, the open fan uh, technology, that propulsive technology from the open fan, that's singularly going to make a, a massive difference in that target of at least 20%. But the engine will also be hybrid electric, uh, which is a, a real breakthrough for us as we target those new technologies. And then those materials in the core of the engine, uh, those new materials that we're developing to have a compact core, the collective thermal efficiency coupled with their propulsive efficiency, that's what we're focused on in those breakthrough technologies that will now mature throughout the course of this decade to enter into revenue generating service after we've launched an engine in the mid 2030s. So more and more people are traveling as we emerge from the pandemic. What is your forecast for the industry? Well, look, the departures uh, in the first half of 2021 were largely, as we'd expected, sort of flat to the exit of uh, 2020. But, Gene, if you travel around the U.S., and I travel almost every week now, and I've just started traveling internationally, well, certainly in the U.S. here in the United States, domestic capacity over the summer months is going to be at least 80%. And if you're lucky enough to be traveling on an airplane at the moment, the load factors are robust. I was watching just uh, before I came on air with you, Scott Kirby from United Airlines announcing that United has just turned profitable. So there are tailwinds of strong support. We expect narrowbody aircraft to get back to those 2019 levels by 2023. And that long haul wide body traffic 
to lag by about a year, so into 2024. So we have tailwinds, Gene. The market is returning, and GE Aviation is planning for that ramp to support our services customers and also support Boeing and Airbus as they ramp up production. John Slattery, President and CEO of GE Aviation. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. And now back to the Washington Post. And now back to Washington Post Live. Hello and welcome back. For those of you just joining us, my name is Lori Aratani. I'm a transportation reporter here at the Washington Post. We're glad to have as our next guest, Jeremy Baines, president of one of the top renewable fuel companies in the world, Neste USA, uh, US. Jeremy, um, welcome to Washington Post Live. Hello, Lori. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, great. Well, we'll get right to it. Um, I know we're talking about sustainability today, and one of the things that I think you've said is that coming out of the pandemic, it's going to be even more important. The fight against climate change is going to be even more important. So can you talk about why? Well, Laurie, I think, I think we are all desperate to get back to the skies, to meet families, to travel for work, to meet our customers and clients. And after a whole year of being at home or uh, restricted from moving because of COVID, we just want to think about how are we going to travel in the future? Don't we want to travel more sustainably? And I think that's what Neste is here to, to help our customers with. Uh, the customers and the, the flying public is how can we make flying more sustainable, which is really what we are hearing again and again that people want to do. Right. And you've, that's, that's an excellent point. And we know that air travel, people miss air travel. They want to get back on planes. They want to connect with their friends and family. But air travel is also a huge source of carbon emissions. Um, I believe commercial air travel accounts for almost 4% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So can you talk to us about the consequences if airlines don't start to take action, say in 10 years, in 20 years? Absolutely. And um, airplanes today, they have a lifespan of 30, 40 years. So if you order a new plane today, they're still going to be flying for the next 30 or 40 years. And I think we need to tackle the root cause, the root cause of the of the climate change, the climate change uh, caused also by by airplanes is the burning of fossil fuels. Now, we, we heard um, in, in your earlier reporting that there's maybe work on going on electric or hydrogen. But that's many decades in the future. And today, there are no electric cables long enough to power these regional planes, these intercontinental flights. The only solution on the table today is sustainable aviation fuel. And I think it's important to realize that sustainable aviation fuel doesn't add any new carbon into the atmosphere. And it's, it's just through the production process that there's some um, uh, carbon which is made. And that's why the, the comments earlier of being able to reduce by 50 to 80% of CO2 is fact. And that can happen overnight. The, literally the only change that you need to do is decide to fly on sustainable aviation fuel as opposed to petroleum jet fuel. And therefore overnight, what using the existing planes, the existing infrastructure, the same pilots, the same mechanics, you can really make flying so much more sustainable. Be great. Can you talk a little bit about the fuel you you produce, what goes into it, and what the process is like? 
So, so Neste today, we produce approximately 34 million gallons of fuel. Uh, we have the ambition to grow that to over 500 million gallons by 2023. What we use are fats, oils and greases. Your, the used cooking oil that, uh, from, from a restaurant. So you, you order your fries and your burger, and <laughs> once that oil is done, we take that oil and convert it into a drop in safe, sustainable aviation fuel. To, to give you an example, we, uh, Neste um, has acquired last year a company called Mahoney. Together with Mahoney, we collect from 34,000 restaurants across the country. Uh, and, and that fuel is then um, today available in places like San Francisco Airport, um, in Austin, in Texas. Uh, we, we're starting to expand the offering with our partners to be able to target consumers much faster. So that our, so that our customers uh, or companies are able to fly their employees more sustainably. Wow. I love the idea that eating French fries is good for the environment. I'm, I'm going to stick with that one. <laughs> That's great. Um, I know that Neste started out as what people might think of as a traditional oil company. So can you talk a little bit about your evolution? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, Neste, like uh, many, many co energy companies out there, we started in refining, um, petroleum refining. Um, but then about 20, 25 years ago, um, we, we really started to embark in how can we make our fuels more sustainable, more renewable. And Neste's always had a history of making cleaner fuels, more efficient fuels. So going renewable was actually a natural step. And we've now been refining this for the past 15 years. Uh, so we, we, we developed our own technology to make renewable diesel. Um, we can use the same technology to make sustainable aviation fuel. And that has now really been the growth engine for Neste. Um, just, uh, just last year, uh, renewables represented nearly 90% of Neste's uh, annual profit. And it's a business that we are continuing to invest in. Renewables is the future. Renewables is not only the future for Neste, but it's also the future for our society. Making things renewable, making things more sustainable. That's interesting. Do you have any advice for other companies that might want to make a similar transition? I don't know that you're looking for additional competition, but. Oh, uh, we are we're very happy to see actually a lot of the oil companies discovering what we discovered more than 15 years ago. Uh, so we see here in the United States, many of the traditional oil companies moving into the renewable space. We've seen the announcements of Philip 66, of Marathon, of uh, Valero, um, BP. So there are many companies that are now entering that space. Uh, we're either happy to partner with them to distribute the fuel so that it gets to the customers uh, faster, but we're also happy to see more renewables available uh, because uh, renewable fuels have an immediate impact on CO2 reduction. And the market is huge. Uh, we were talking about uh, passengers taking back to the skies. There's a lot of petroleum jet fuel that has to be replaced with sustainable aviation fuel. What do you think are the biggest challenges to creating a more sustainable aviation and energy sector? I think, we, I think we're starting to see it. We really start to see the consumers, the customers, and the companies 
demanding more sustainability. We see the, the regulators and legislators hearing that call and putting in place um, incentives for the uptake of sustainable fuels in general. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I, I really see the opportunity for sustainable fuels to take a larger and larger share of the market. Um, it's been a slow evolution. I think it's fair to say that the sustainable aviation fuel industry is still a nascent industry, but with everything that's happening in society, in Washington DC, etc., I'm really confident that this industry is about to take off. In aviation, you mentioned that it's it's sort of been a s slow acceptance. Um, what do you think is, is behind that? Is it just the unknown? We've always used this type of fuel, so we're not sure about that. What do you, what do you think is behind that? Um, I, th I think there's, there's always there's always a, a question about the unknown. However, this fuel has been clearly demonstrated to be safe, to be efficient, to be renewable. Then, of course, there's the aspect that this has to scale up. The petroleum industry has had more than 100 years to perfect this, to build the infrastructure, the pipelines, the access to the airports, the airlines. This is something that the renewables industry has now had to enter into as well. Um, then there was then there's the cost aspect, and I think we heard it earlier on that sustainable aviation fuel is more expensive. And yes, it's fair to say it is more expensive. Will it ever be cheaper than petroleum jet fuel? I don't think it will be. But then at the same time, burning fossil fuels will in the future not be acceptable either. So and then we also have to consider the environmental benefit of it, the the, the mitigation of pollution in ESG areas and just the fact of fighting climate change that has that has got a, a value too. Yeah, you point out there are trade-offs. There are always trade-offs. Um, you know, there are a lot of alternative fuel sources out there. There's hydrogen, electricity, um, ethanol. What role do you think all of these will play in reducing our carbon footprint? We, we need all alternative sources of, of fuel. Now, um, like, I, like I said a moment ago, they all have different technological maturities. Uh, we, we heard talking earlier today about electric for maybe small regional planes of two to three to four passengers. Today, I don't fly in those right. planes. I fly on the regional planes with hundreds of passengers. And unfortunately, there's nothing on the drawing board for the next 10, 20 years that would fly on electric or hydrogen. So while it's important that we keep developing that technology, that we keep looking at ways to scaling it up and to make it move faster, we also need to tackle climate change today. There are tens of thousands of planes in the sky today that um, we, we are making them more efficient through, through winglets, through more efficient engines, etc. But the root cause of burning the petroleum fossil, the petroleum jet fuel still needs to be tackled. That's true. Well, we have a question from a viewer. Um, Maureen Herzog from Colorado would like to know, what can the airline industry do to reduce their footprint with regards to climate change? Maureen, that's an excellent question. And I think the airline industry has already done a tremendous effort to reduce the emissions. Uh, they, they're buying 
modern planes with winglets, more efficient engines we heard from, from GE how they reduce the emissions, uh, more efficient routing, um, making, making the, the planes lighter, having less waste on board the planes, all these things greatly contribute to the reduction of uh, climate changing emissions. At the same time, we also need to encourage the uptake of sustainable aviation fuel, as today, that is the only fuel that will actually tackle the root cause of climate change from planes. Okay. Right. Um, do you have any thoughts on other alternative fuel fuel options being developed for aviation? So I think there are many different routes to making renewable aviation fuel, sustainable aviation fuel. Um, Neste works through um, used cooking oils and waste oils. Uh, they are routes through through ethanol. Uh, Neste is also investigating, um, actively investigating using algae. Uh, we are also looking at uh, municipal solid waste and forestry waste, which would be quite exciting. So when, uh, when the trees are harvested, the treetops and the branches, they could still uh, um, be converted into a fuel, which would then also reduce aviation fuel. So we see lots of different uh, technology routes from very many different feedstocks to making sustainable aviation fuel. Great. Um, can you talk about, we talk a lot about how sustainable aviation fuel is, is good for the environment. Can you quantify for our viewers what difference using fuel produced by Neste makes um, on the environment or in the environment? So in, in terms of, in terms of um, greenhouse gas emissions, especially CO2, um, right. burning SAF in a jet engine does not add any CO2 to the atmosphere because the CO2 in the fuel was present in the, the used cooking oil, was present in the vegetable oils or the animal fats that, that we use. So burning the fuel doesn't add any CO2. So from that point of view, it is actually net zero. Uh, what, where, the, where the pollution comes from today is in the manufacture of the fuel and the transportation of the fuel. That's why Neste is committed to going to uh, carbon neutral production by 2035. So that removes already the whole production side of the CO2 footprint. And as we work then with our partners to make the transportation of the, the uh, used cooking oils or the waste to our refinery, and then from the refinery, the finished sustainable aviation fuel to the airport more efficient, we reduce that as well. So the, the aim is that eventually we are able to provide a fuel to our customers that has net zero emissions. So, so the, these, are, these are real possibilities in the decades to come. Um, sustainable aviation fuel also has less particulate, particulate matter, produces less carbon black in the atmosphere, which has been associated to the seeding of clouds. So apart from just the CO2 impact, there's also the impact on the other pollutants that are cre created in the atmosphere and very often in the communities near the airports from which the planes take off and land. You bring up such a good point, which is I think we tend to think that, that maybe there's just one solution, but really it's the system, right? It's not just producing the fuel that is sustainable, but being able to distribute it in a sustainable way. That's so interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the whole life cycle analysis from, from the moment you get the raw material to it's being uh, produced into a fuel 
goes into the plane and then it's combusted. So now you, you need to really add up all the carbon in the whole chain. And when Nested does that, we are able to demonstrate that we've reduced the emissions by up to 80% compared to just combusting petroleum jet fuel. Great. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation, um, but unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you very much, Jeremy Bange, for joining us here on Washington Post Live. My pleasure. It was enjoyable joining you. Thank you, Laurie. Um, and I want to remind our viewers that we have a great program tomorrow. My uh, colleague, uh, Robin Gavon, will be, uh, my colleague, Robin Gavon, um, will be interviewing actor and rapper David Diggs tomorrow. So be sure to register at WashingtonPostLive.com. Um, and there, when you go there, you'll see a preview of some of the other great programs that we have coming up. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and please come back and watch Washington Post Live again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.